Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. June is Pride Month, so each week our guest will be a member of the LGBTQ horror community and will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is the multi-talented Drew Phillips. She's the producer for Dead for Filth, a podcast as well as a writer, director, producer, cinematographer, and artist. Through her design company, Sister High Design, she's also worked with companies such as the Criterion Collection, Kino Lorber, Altered Innocence, and 88 Films to create iconic images, theatrical one-sheets, records, and more. Welcome to the show, Drew. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Yay. How do you have time? Yeah. <laughs> Are you tired? The secret is I don't sleep. Ah, uh, yes. That seems to be what it is. It's whenever someone's like, how do you do it? I'm like, I just don't really sleep that much. <laughs> I was like, oh, quarantine's going to be great. I'm going to sleep all day. I'm going to watch so many movies and maybe I'll do some writing. And it was like, nope, I'm just designing all day long. And then I go to sleep at 5 a.m. watching Notting Hill. Anyway. <laughs> Honestly, though, that sounds nice. I mean. That was yesterday. It was good. That sounds great that does sound Notting good Hill. oh my god a classic <laughs> um so drew how did you get yes. into horror okay so i was a very uh, latchkey kind of kid who watched movies all the time but i was very very turned off by horror movies and i was like ran out of the room screaming as a kid when we saw like <laughs> raiders of the lost ark and their faces melted off and even like oh, yeah. when the skeleton dropped mm-hmm. down at the beginning i couldn't yeah. handle it i could not handle those things <laughs> <laughs> However, at some point, I started getting into, you know, action movies and art house movies in, like, middle school and high school when I had no friends. Um, <laughs> and I was like, Same. ooh, these are really, really fun. Maybe, like, maybe there's some older horror movies that I feel more comfortable with because I like Young mm-hmm. Frankenstein and I felt comfortable in the, like, black and white universal monster space. 
Okay. So I found mm-hmm. myself tiptoeing into like Eyes Without a Face and then like maybe a little bit of Carnival of Souls and Eraserhead and then, okay, maybe Ooh. I'll watch a Cronenberg movie. And then when I got to college, because I went to film school in Chicago, there was, still is, a series that they do in October every year called The 24-Hour Massacre. <laughs> is um, that a music box? Uh, it's not the music box. The music box is Music Box of the Dead. Oh, that's right. Sorry. I, I, I lived in Chicago for a while, so it was it's like... The best. <laughs> yeah, just the best. The massacre is less well-known. It's like <laughs> My bad. an hour out on the train. Oh, what neighborhood What neighborhood is it in? I don't remember, but it's at the Portage okay, cool. Theater usually. Okay. Which, if you know it, is uh, from like the 1920s. <laughs> it has no uh, air conditioning or heating. And this is October in Chicago, and you're in there (laughs) for 24 hours and with whatever concessions they have, and there's usually vendors at the first, like, couple hours of it, and it's 24 hours of horror movies, 35 digital, they always start with a silent film with an organ score, and I just gathered some friends together first year of college, because I was like, look, the flyer says they're showing Day of the Dead, and they're showing a couple other movies that we've heard about that we love and want to see again. And it's only 20 bucks to go see, like, all these movies for Holy an entire shit. day. And we don't even know what else they're going to play. And we were not prepared. <laughs> <laughs> they showed... Oh, my God. They showed uh, The Haunted Palace with Vincent Price. Oh. They showed Argento's Tenebrae. Oh. They showed the original Ooh. Black Christmas. They showed oh, Trick wow. or Treat from a couple years ago. They showed... Twins of Evil, the Hammer Lesbian Vampire film. Oh, fuck yeah. They showed this Toby Hooper's wonderful. like Southern Fried Cannibal movie, Eaten Alive. Eaten Alive, yeah. They showed Town the Dreaded Sundown. Um, oh. It was holy hell a lineup. And I walked out of the doors the next day being like, well, I really love horror movies. Holy <laughs> shit. Oh, my God. And I especially Tenebrae like, was like a needle in my brain. And I was like, I'm going to go watch every Jalo movie ever made now. <laughs> this is my thing. Holy shit. And then that warped my brain for the next 10 years. Well, as Hell it yeah. Where did, you go to school in Chica- it. Where did you go to school in Chicago? I went to Columbia. Oh, cool. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Not the fancy university. one, the art school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went to the University of Chicago for my master's in film. That's why I was like, where? Because I love Chicago, and I did yeah. not like... We probably edit this out or not, whatever. I didn't really like University of Chicago, um, but I found a lot of really awesome horror people in Chicago, so I was mm-hmm. glad that I went to get my master's there and found like a huge horror community. The horror scene in Chicago is fabulous, and it's a so lot good. of the horror people that I know out here in LA, I know because you meet them, and the first thing out of their mouth is, did you ever live in Chicago? And all of a sudden, you never <laughs> met each other in Chicago. But now, like, I have so many... I, the people that I met out here in L.A., I met on my second day in Los Angeles at a trauma premiere at the Egyptian. And I was wow. just asked to take a photo for some people. And they were like, so where are you from? And I was like, oh, I just came out here from Chicago. Like, it's my second day. And they're like, oh, my God, shut up. I lived in Chicago. And that was Lottie Knowles. And sitting next to her was Michael Verratti. Oh, jeez. <laughs> And oh, cool. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, okay. And casual. And that that was the basis of me meeting people in Los Angeles. <laughs> wow. Four years later. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah, right? Wow. What a cool story. I feel like so many people talk about like being a kid, but it sounds like you came into horror much like later in your life, which is really yeah. cool. 
That's I was awesome. I was scared shitless as a kid. I couldn't <laughs> I could not do it, which is partially why we're here to talk about this because a lot of movies scared the shit out of me. As a kid. <laughs> <laughs> movies that should not have. Like what? I was I had a bit, weird thing with plants for years oh. because of the one-two punch of Jumanji and Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> But like yeah. mostly Jumanji. Oh my god! Yes, those fucking plants. Because there's those, those little flowers, and Robin Williams is like, ah, beware of this one and this one, and they're like, but we didn't see that other kind of flower. And then it like <laughs> tracks in on the fireplace, and it opens up, and the giant yes! flower like, and I was like, oh fuck no, <laughs> no 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 no. I barely remember that movie. I love Jumanji. No one it remembers that. Sweet. No one remembers that big flying vine flower bit from it. Everyone's like, "Oh yeah, the monkeys and the rhinos and all this." That's stuff. all and I I'm can like, remember. No, that that <laughs> scared the shit out of me. Wow. Um, <laughs> so how how did you um, get into uh, into your art background? Was it was it because going to uh, Columbia or how did how did that Partially, all? It- really started when i was in high school i was in a okay. lot of punk bands back in indiana and i play bass and i'm oh, a nice. bit of an asshole on stage like every bass player is <laughs> because we want attention and you know it's not like a very like massive scene in indiana it's you know it's in new york or los angeles but there's a really like tight-knit scene and there's a there was a lot of shows going on and there was a lot of stuff to do and you know, you would need flyers for stuff and yeah. your band would need a cover for the single they were releasing or for your album cover and stuff like that. And, and you know, now it's an age of technology and we had to do social media posts, right? you know, and like Facebook and MySpace. And so like I made all that stuff and I taught myself Photoshop in high school, just like in the Hell computer yeah. lab or in my film classes and stuff when I had downtime just to make album covers and flyers and stuff like that. And like... It was very relaxing for me and it was fun and it was something that like I've never really been able to draw or had any like fine art background or skills. And I was like, hey, I kind of like doing this, though. Um, And then when I went to college, I, you know, was in like directing and experimental filmmaking and stuff like that. And no one cared about my movies at all. But they were always like, your opening credit sequence was really cool. (laughs) The title card was awesome. And I was like okay it's like do you want to do the titles for my movie and i was like is that a thing yeah. <laughs> um and so that just kind of i don't know it was a very back burner thing until i moved out to los angeles and then you know i found a place that needed design that i kind of started working as an editor but it was a streaming company and they didn't have a graphic designer and I was like, well, I can make all this stuff look a whole lot better than it is. And I just started doing that full time. And I worked there for about three years. And I started to develop my own voice a bit as a designer. And I did, um, in 2018, I did a year of self-initiated um, fan posters on my Instagram account. One for every single day of the year. Which, Whoa. in hindsight, was kind of idiotic. Because I... <laughs> I didn't sleep, and, like, <laughs> I just did those, like, in my lunch breaks. <laughs> wow. Um, like, like, your website has, like, are, are they all of them? Because I've noticed your web has a whole bunch of, like, the, the posters a day thing. Is that, are that's all, all of them, them on here? That's all of them? And there's more than 365, because some days oh, I did two, because I'm stupid. <laughs> what, is, what is 
wrong with you? I don't know. I don't know. I I mean, like, when I was starting out, I was like, I did one for, like, Singing in the Rain. And I was like, ooh, if I change the colors, this could be Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Might as well do two. And I'm like, you could have okay. stopped. I, you didn't. I suppose I get, I understand that. But also, yeah. like, sleep. I... <laughs> I know. Or not. I love I mean, it. Like, I love it. I love exactly. I want to do That's it more the thing, often. though. I feel like as long as it's like you love it and it's amazing, then like yeah. whatever. But I started doing that, and that kind of got me the attention of indie filmmakers who would, you know, want me to do their stuff. And then I also had the portfolio of the work that I did um, at the company I was working at, which was pretty substantial. And then I got agency freelance offers, and then I got a couple offers here and there, and so. For that, and then a myriad of other reasons, I left the company I was working at and went off on my own and kind of started the Sister Hyde banner. And Which I love that icon, by the way. It's oh, so thank you. good. <laughs> that was literally just, I like nuns. Um, I have a lot of <laughs> weird like nuns. nun paintings in my house, and I like nun films. I don't know. It's, a, it's not a thing. Don't look into it. Um, <laughs> and... And I also really, 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 really am a vampire aficionado in a big way. Uh, oh my uh, god, uh, me too. In a big, big, big way. Oh my god. I, I mean, yes. my favorite book of all time since I was like in the third grade was Dracula. So, oh. um, hi, I love you. <laughs> so I was like, okay, just like let's 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 do a nun with fangs and some blood, uh, kind of in the you know the very graphic '70s style that I do a little bit and then sister Hyde as you know a kind of trans horror play on the hammer film right. Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde because I was like I want people to be able to know that like I do a lot of horror stuff right <laughs> to look at this and be like oh we can get her to do horror stuff and also like to get my pronouns right <laughs> yeah <laughs> please I was yes. like I, if if they know that from the get-go things will be a whole lot easier and then the whole sister thing is a double entendre with the nun thing. So I was like, okay, that kind of works. Oh, <laughs> I, was, I think I made up a, the, the little icon I made in like an afternoon, like in between projects. I was like, this looks neat. And I sent it to a friend and she was like, cool. Do you still make t-shirts? Uh, I do occasionally. I just found them on and I like the she, her, hearse. Thank you. That's a joke a friend of mine made. And I was like, I'm going to put that on a shirt. And you're like, like, thank you. I will take okay. that. <laughs> I did a whole bunch of shirt designs last year, but I had problems with my distributor um, that was, like, fulfilling orders and stuff. So the, like, the shop that I had that was doing that, I've taken down, and I'm looking – I'm probably just going to take them on Society of Six or something eventually. But, like, they're all, you know, mostly original shirt designs, so it's not like I'm going to be sued or anything. It's just I've got to find a distributor that can, you know, print on demand easily yeah not break down every time someone orders a shirt um (laughs) you know that would be cool that would be nice but yeah i just did those literally because i wasn't getting any work at a certain point last year i was like well i'll make these maybe i can make money off of them and i didn't (laughs) (laughs) so you recently announced that uh you showed the artwork you did for the upcoming elephant man uh criterion collection which is so cool oh thank you um, but the thing that honestly got me so excited is that you are apparently are doing the, is it uh, the artwork or the DVD cover for the equation to unknown to an unknown? Yeah, I did. Oh my God. Yes. I did equation to an unknown for altered innocence altered for the innocence. Blu-ray and the DVD, oh. uh, which if you don't know, <laughs> uh, equation to an unknown is a 1970s French 
gay porn film. Hell yes. <laughs> which is sadder than most art house movies you're ever going to find. That's what it I is heard. Nothing but like longing and glances and casual blowjobs on a motorcycle. As yeah, one does. You know. It's so good. It's genuinely like the fact that it's just not widely known as like a French erotic art house film and instead been seen as like a skeezy little like porn film that's been overlooked is a crime. Yeah. John well, Gonzalez, the director of Knife Plus Heart, which Alternate put out last year. Yeah. Um, is a big fan of it and he yeah. kind of sourced it for parts of Knife Plus Heart to kind of give inspiration into that world of 70s french porn filmmaking Hell yeah. um which i love that movie so much when they were presenting uh, knife plus heart in some theaters they would um also air it with uh equation to an unknown and i i wish that it, i i mean i live in nebraska like you know it, it's not coming here no let's be honest. what art house probably... are playing the porn terry come on <laughs> you've got to start like, your own gay porn art house in nebraska i think <gasps> that's the mission terry i'll no. move to nebraska and do that with you There's, that sounds like a thing i need to start <laughs> But um, but I, I so I've been I have it pre-ordered because I've been wanting to see it ever since like they you know they announced that you know this was like the movie that sort of like was partly an inspiration for Knife Plus Heart. I'm like I gotta yeah. see this, and I saw that it was like on on Pornhub, and I almost watched it there. <laughs> I like but... that it's on Pornhub. <laughs> I think the trailer's on Pornhub. Oh, was it just the trailer? Okay, I think it's the trailer because I know Altered Innocence was trying to find like cheeky ways of advertising it. Oh. <laughs> and they're like, what if we what if we drop the trailer on Pornhub? <laughs> and I was like, that's so fucking stupid. I love it. But yeah, we we did that last year. It's like, you know, it's a French porn film from the 70s. There was like no artwork for it. So they came right. to me and they're like, we've got some stills. And all you need to know is that it's a sad little art movie about longing. And here's the movie if you want to watch it. So, the most melancholic um, porn film I've ever seen, according Jan to Gonzalez. Jan yeah. Gonzalez. And Jan got it like personally restored, and it looks <sighs> amazing. Whoa, fuck yeah. They restored yeah, it in yeah. 2K. It looks gorgeous on the Blu-ray. Um, and that should be coming out soon. I know there's been production delays in a lot of discs because mm. of coronavirus. So, right. I just um, pre-ordered it, and it said estimated July 14th. Hey! Yeah, I've had it pre-ordered for a minute because I, I just can't wait. I can't wait to see Me it. Me on my phone. Must buy more things. Buying <laughs> must, shirts. Must buy, buy more buying porn. Buying Blu-rays. Bringing porn in. Must buy porn for my house. Display it proudly on a shelf. Because it doesn't sound like a porn. It sounds it's like not, it sounds like an art house French film. It is. Just with, you know, simulated sex. Sweet. I yeah. mean... Who can ask for anything more? I was going to say that. Honestly. <laughs> you know, last year at Marion Bad would be a whole lot better if there was some dicks getting sucked. <laughs> <laughs> yep. This is a hot take. <laughs> there you go. Um, wow. I lost my train of thought with that. Um, <laughs> I, know, I did too. I'm thinking about blowjobs on Thinking, thinking about blowjobs on motorcycles now. Um, Good. Um, <laughs> that's all we could ever do, like, all we could ever want I love Terry, that Elephant Man brought us to that for sure. I, know. I know right <laughs> Elephant Man to sucking dicks on motorcycles which I've never seen I've never seen Elephant Man I, I haven't seen the Elephant Man I no. haven't either I need to oh my God, it's like one guys. of my one of like my few David Lynch blind spots because he's one of my favorite directors so, so I'm definitely going to get the Criterion now that you designed it oh, but it, 
Well, even if I didn't, even if I wasn't even involved with it, I would say you need uh. to go see this movie <laughs> um, and get and get that dish because like it's, the restoration's gorgeous. But on top of that, like no, it's absolutely an essential and absolutely a classic that I feel like most people should see. And much like Equation to an Unknown, you're gonna need a box of tissues, but for completely different reasons. <laughs> Because oh. you will be crying, <laughs> <laughs> Elephant Man. Um, but I, I mean, I saw Elephant Man middle school or high school age, and oh, it like broke me down, and I wept and I wept and I wept, and I thought it was so good, and I hadn't really seen any other Lynch stuff at that point. It was just this beautiful period drama that had these amazingly surreal, emotive sequences in it that i just loved and then at a different point i changed schools in high school and i was like super depressed and i like didn't know how to interact with anybody and my entire first week at that school i had for some reason rented elephant man from the library and i had it out for a week and i watched it every single day <laughs> of oh my that God. week wow. because wow. i would come home from school a little depressed about, like, I don't know anybody at this new school. I don't know how to interact with people. Come home, drop my bag, disc, player, elephant man. Wow. <laughs> like, every single day for a week until I had to give it back. And then, like, by that point, I was more, like, adjusted person and could talk to people and, like, interact at school. And, you know, it wasn't because of the elephant man. But I was going to say, did elephant man give you courage? <laughs> It's a beautiful movie, and it's very it's very humanist, and it's very very kind and forgiving, and I don't know. It's like a warm blanket of a movie. It makes me feel good. I, everyone's like, "Oh, you need to watch it," but you're gonna be so sad. It's gonna make you cry so hard. And I'm like, "No, it's like it's like having a cup of cocoa near Christmas. It's like, huh. it feels good. Huh. I like it." I have never heard that movie described that way, and it makes me even more excited to watch it. It's free. Like, you, like, you're gonna cry. You're gonna cry. Oh, yeah. Oh, but, yeah. Like, 100%. But, but not like... in, like, the Disney manufactured, like. Right. Yes. Uh, now type. it is the cry time. It's <laughs> right. more like. <laughs> now we're going to start up with the history of this two, this couple and have you bawling. Yeah. It's like how everyone, at least in my age generation, has seen the movie Click. And you know that you've seen the movie Click because you all cried at the exact same point in the movie right? Click. Fuck that movie, though. Like, who but no one thinks it? it's a good movie. Everyone cried at it when they were supposed to, but no one thinks it's a good movie because like, we all know we were tricked. We were tricked. And I, every time I see that movie pop up anywhere, I'm like, that movie? Like, I fucking cried at that fucking Adam Sandler movie. Like, are you joking? Okay, since Christopher we're... fucking Walken. I know. <laughs> since we're talking about that, uh, my, that for me would be fucking Sweet November. I don't know it. I don't know that either. It had, um, who, it was Keanu Reeves and Charlie Theron. Ooh. Ooh, say no more. <laughs> and, like, they decide to go on a personal relationship for a while, and then stuff happens. And it is, <laughs> I hate the movie. I think the movie is, is terrible. But I, I remember the first, it was the first time I ever bawled in the movie theater because, was, and I'm, to the point where like I'm laughing that I'm that I'm crying about it because like it's to the point where it's like I cannot believe that I'm laughing I'm crying at this and it just becomes absurd. Yeah, that was that movie. Wait, for is, me. This, is this a movie about cancer? Yeah. Okay. Well, the uh, picture the picture on Letterbox is Charlize Theron wearing a hat and no hair. Like oh. <laughs> well. So that's yeah. okay. So it is one of those movies. Like, but they the, didn't like advertise it as such. Oh. Yeah. 
So it's just like, oh, it's a sweet movie about two people falling in love. I saw and... Terms of Endearment for the first time, like, Ooh. a couple years ago around Mother's Day. Ooh. Unintentionally. And I had no clue what it was about. I've never seen it. I don't even know what it's about. Oh, either. good. You'll be in the exact same suit that I was in. <laughs> anyway, for the first 90 minutes, it's just a great slice of life like drama and it's really funny and all the characters are amazing and like danny devito's in it and john lithgow and oh, wow. jeff daniels and like at the center of it all you've got um shirley mcclain and jack nicholson and it's great and in the last half hour you're just crying <laughs> you don't see it coming and then it just hits you over the back of the head and then you just cry for half an hour and then it's over it's so good <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. yep I cried like that when I watched that movie, The Notebook. Oh yeah, I was oh, like, I didn't see that either. I um, either. You're not missing anything. But I, mean, like, I pretty much know, but like, as I've been told. But like, it was the first like I think it was the first like romance movie that I watched and I had any conception of like relationships. Mind you, I was still very young, but I think I like was starting to understand what relationships were, and like it made me. At the end, I was like, oh, what the what? But like, it's like not a good movie. It just, oh like, a, it has, again, like, that manufactured, like, Nicholas Sparks sad-ass ending that's gonna make you cry, even though you mm -hmm. shouldn't be that emotionally invested in it. Kind of like how I, the hardest I've ever cried at a movie ever in my entire life was that Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Fuck <laughs> yes. Oh my god. That is... I mean, but how can you not, though? I'm not even kidding. Like, I believe the, you, because I, was I like, cried, too. <laughs> I saw 8th grade, and I almost cried a little bit at 8th grade, and then I pulled myself together, and I was like, ah, whew, I should go see something light and fun and funny to, like, get over that. And so I, like, turned right back around, got a ticket to Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, being like, I'm going to clap to ABBA, and I'm going to watch... <laughs> I'm gonna watch a good time from a Richard Curtis movie uh, who's never let me down or made me cry. Anyway. And then you cry uh, the whole time because it's a very emotional entire, movie. The entire length of Mamma Mia, here we go again. I'm like, yeah, Abba, I'm singing along. This is the best. And then that fucking church scene comes up. Yep. And then I didn't even realize I was crying until like <laughs> I had to like wipe my face and I was like, wow, am I drowning? What? <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, by the time I realized what was happening, I couldn't stop crying. Oh, and it yeah. just kept going. And if you've seen Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, there's the church scene with that song. Um, and then when it's over, there's, like, a couple more minutes of, like, dialogue and, like, wrap up to the movie. And then it goes into, like, the big end credits, like, we're all going to sing Super Trooper together. And Super Trooper is my favorite ABBA song, and it's so much fun and upbeat, and I couldn't enjoy it because I was still bawling through oh, Super no. Trooper. <laughs> I could not stop. Were you alone? I was thankfully alone. I was sitting in like one of the first few rows of a really, really big theater, and no one was around me. And so I was like, cool, it's like a Thursday, midday. I'm going to be an asshole and kind of sing along a little bit to myself. And these people can't say shit about it. <laughs> and then I ended up being the asshole who did that and then loudly and cried to the end. Everyone's like, are you okay? Like, is everything fine? You're like, don't look at me. Everyone's like, there's a manic, possibly suicidal person in the front row of Mamma Mia. Here we go again. And she must be removed. She is singing and crying. And I'm not sure if she's having a good time. <laughs> Did she even buy a ticket? <laughs> <laughs> Some say Theater 14 is haunted. 
<laughs> she lurks under the seats. That theater's been closed for 40 oh, years. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, on that note, Terry, do you want to talk about what we've been watching recently? Yes, I do. I'm glad they got to talk about Mamma Mia on this podcast, finally. Uh, I feel like. Maybe I've never seen. I've never seen either of them. Oh, they're See so. Them, they're great. They're so fun. Like, they're just so fun and enjoyable and entertaining and great. And apparently tear-jerking. Yeah, they do. They do make yeah. you cry. They do make you cry. Uh, so... In anticipation of uh, the movie that we're going to be talking about today, I watched another kind of proto-slasher called The Severed Arm. Oh. Is that the one that Veneer Syndrome just put out? Yes. Okay. Um, you just posted that yesterday, I think. I saw yeah. that. So it's, it's you know, I, I'm what I'm trying to do, Drew, is, is go through like my backlog, which is impossible when I start ordering more movies like this one <laughs> from Vinegar Syndrome. Um, but it is a... Oh my god, this movie is about these five friends that are for some reason exploring a mine. As you do. Well, okay, so the movie first opens up with this with a, a man that is in this morgue and he is he picks up a saw and chops off the arm off of a body and then wraps it up and mails it and the mailman that delivers it is Angus Scrim, uncredited oh, role, but his first role on a in a movie. And he delivers it to this guy who opens up the box, sees it, and fall, falls over. Like, the box falls over and the arm flops out. And he goes to meet his doctor friend, and he's talking to the doctor. And we get the watery fade to, like, flashback scene of them in the mine, going to this mine that collapses. And they get stuck in there. And then they start, about a weekend, start talking about cannibalism because they haven't been found yet. And the one guy makes a joke, oh, I don't eat meat on Friday, so we're up to do this tomorrow. I, I, it, it's so weird. Jesus. And then two weeks later, they finally decide that what they're going to do is randomly pick someone, chop off whatever body part they want to chop off, and then eat it. So they do that, and as soon as they <laughs> chop off the guy's arm, um, they hear tick, 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 because someone has obviously, you know, found, found them. them, of course, at <laughs> like the perfect opportunity. And then it's like we're back to five years later, and the guy that they chop the arm off is going around trying to chop off their the rest of the people's arms. Um, <laughs> okay, that kind of sounds badass, though. Like, I want to watch that. It's very slow. Oh, never sounds mind. like it. <laughs> it's it's very slow, but like you can see where there there are some things in it that um, are surprising because it's it came out in 1973, so it came out a year before Black Christmas, and there are some things in there that you will see eventually in like some of the bigger slashers of that era and beyond. There's a killer point of view shot. Um, there's a man with an axe. It's like you know in the shadows, drenching in the shadows, and like you see the kind of they don't show his face, so he's like all cloaked in shadows, and you just see this axe. It kind of has like an attack in a shower. That's I, I you can kind of see like glimmers from like psycho except it's with it. the interesting thing is that they're all like middle-aged men like all the victims oh. are middle-aged men and it's oh. it, that's really boring like they're just really boring characters <laughs> but like there was one scene that i was like oh my god because this guy one of them is a dj and he's on the radio and he's he's getting these weird calls from the guy that is stalking them and so he calls the operator and the operator is like sir the calls the one you asked us to trace they're coming from your other line whoever is it is in the building with you Doesn't and i'm like oh my god ring as the call is coming from inside the house but they were almost there yeah <laughs> they're but working like, on it that's before, black christmas before, and, like... and uh, stranger calls Good yeah God. 
Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is a 1973. And I've never heard of this movie until Vinegar Syndrome put it out. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's like, it's it's really slow. <laughs> um, it, it's relatively bloodless for a movie about it's arms getting chopped arm. off. <laughs> but um, it was definitely an interesting movie to watch. <laughs> but the other the other thing I briefly want to talk about is have you guys watched um from like in 2016 the the sitcom well I don't even think it's a sitcom the comedy show Search Party? Yeah, I saw it when it first came out. I think I saw it like most of the first season. I love this show. Um yeah. I, I remember watching it in 2016 when it came out and the first two seasons came out. I was like so deeply in love with it. And then they had filmed a third season, but then nothing like was talked about. Like it just sort of just faded away, even though they had filmed a third season. Well, it's finally coming out um, the week that this airs on HBO Max and it's now an HBO Max show. Oh, nice. So I have been rewatching the first season and I just sort of, well, I wanted to like remind myself because 2016, come on, it's been a while, <laughs> and I just like binged the first season. Like, it's so it's so good. It's so it's so funny, and like, <laughs> there's like so many really good lines in it. Like, one of the the characters is like, oh, the whole the whole premise is that this one kind of self-absorbed lost soul finds like a missing flyer for someone that she knew in college, and she's missing and she like all of a sudden decides to like insert herself into the family's life and sort of ins find out where she went up. It went to, and she thinks that she's alive. And so she starts like getting her friends involved that are all equally self-absorbed um, Manhattanites that like sort of just go on this, this journey almost like a noir, but not for like trying to find this person. And I mean, there's like, weird cults there's like odd like baby shows where like there's like a girl that dresses up like and does the whole like baby show for people it's it's just so weird and so bizarre and it's it's very it's very funny like one of they do this visual one of the scenes that like just had me rolling is and it kind of shows the like how out of touch everyone is this acapella group that this lady belong to starts like singing at the vigil and they're singing since you've been gone which is like the oh, wow. most inappropriate <laughs> song to be singing about someone who's missing wow. <laughs> and they and they're so completely unself-aware that they're you know singing a song it's like that oh my god it's since you've been gone we should be singing that song you know it's like that rather than like we're singing about the fact that we're glad you're gone <laughs> but it's just it's it's so good and i cannot wait for the third season uh cool. yeah but that's me. What about you, Mary Beth? So there are two things I want to talk about. Um, first, I finally watched Dracula's Daughter. Oh, yeah. Which Ooh, yes. is a beautiful film. And it's like got a lot of gay subtext, lesbian subtext. And it's awesome. It is from 1936, I believe. Basically, it's Dracula's daughter trying to figure out how she can stop being a vampire and how she can stop drinking blood and going to a psychiatrist and trying to figure out how to not give in to her impulses and oh. it's very fascinating and the um the woman who plays Dracula's daughter um her name is Maria uh Zaleska Countess Maria Zaleska Gloria Holden she is phenomenal like hmm. she's so good as 
um, the Countess, and it's just such a great, it's only 71 minutes long, and it's a beautiful film, and it's a really good example of, like, queer subtext, but not maybe, that, not even that subtextual, but, like... It's almost just text. <laughs> it really is almost just text. She seduces that woman. Like, she seduces, like, a, a pretty, like, not long, but, like, a good chunk, a good chunk of the film is seen where she seduces a woman, and it's really beautiful, and obviously violent. But yeah, it's. I'm glad I watched it. Um, BJ Colangelo was talking about it on Twitter, and I was like, okay, well, I should finally watch this goddamn movie, and I'm so glad I did. And then another one I've watched that is actually new, it just came out on Shudder, it's called Warning, Do Not Play. Oh, yeah. It is a Korean film that, it sounds like found footage, and it's kind of, but not really. It is about the act of finding the footage, which is oh. really cool, I think. This young woman is a director. She works for a production company, and they really liked her first film, and now they're pressuring her to write a second one. And, like, we gave you all this money for development. Like, come on, you got to make something. And so she decides to make a film about a haunted movie. It sounds kind of confusing, and it's a little bit um, it's a little bit confusing because like it gets really meta, and like the layers kind of get tangled up in a way that doesn't always make sense. Okay, I'm back. Um, but yeah, so it gets a little bit convoluted in that a lot of these layers get a little bit messy and a little bit blurring together, but not in a way that I think is always successful. But I think it is a really ambitious, really awesome way of integrating found footage into like a you know typical horror narrative and it's on shutter and i really enjoyed it it's got a really creepy ghost it feels like it's trying to be similar to like ringu or um juan from japan but it is still really creepy and i think has a lot it's a really interesting look at how found footage can expand so i really enjoyed it so it's streaming on shutter for anyone who wants to check it out yeah, I've been meaning to watch that one. I, I saw you tweeting about it. I think it's, I mean, who knows? It's one of those movies that I feel like most people are going to hate just on like the basis of that it's a lot of found footage in it, but I think it's really cool, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, Drew, what have you been watching? So mine, or at least the first one, um, really isn't a horror movie at all or in any way, shape, or form, but like, I am a really, really, really big classic movie fan on top of all of that and i love Cary grant and i've seen most of his movies but i came across talk of the town from 1942 on the criterion channel not long ago and it's on there right now if you want to watch it it's really good and it's Cary grant and ronald coleman and gene arthur and it's a romantic comedy that's also a bit of a thriller <laughs> And a bit of a political film. And it's also, like, supposed to be a, like, romantic triangle of, like, they're both in love with Jane Arthur. Which guy is going to get her? But it does not read that way at all. It just comes oh. off as Cary Grant and um, Ronald Coleman falling in love with each other. Oh, fuck yeah. And it just not even accidentally turns into this really, really, really sweet gay romance. Um, wow. But Cary Grant is, like, a socialist... Um, pro-union like sole protester in this small town that is run by a very corrupt business owner and like his political machine and Cary Grant is like well you're <laughs> skipping on all these codes your factory is gonna burn down and someone might die and then like a couple days later the factory burns down and someone <laughs> is reported dead in the fire and so everyone blames Cary Grant for doing it 
Of course. Um, and he escapes jail and runs out to a little house in the country where Gene Arthur is setting up a B&B for a visiting law professor played by Ronald Coleman. And so she has to hide him in the attic and he convinces her to let him stay there and convince Ronald Coleman to stay in the town, hear out his case and help him uh, prove his innocence. And so the entire time, Ronald Coleman is this very stuck-up, very East Coast, fairly conservative professor who has no interest in this, no interest in this at all. He doesn't want to get involved, doesn't want to get involved. And he's introduced to Cary Grant as the gardener on the property, and they immediately hit it off, and they spend the entire movie in these like beautiful conversations with each other by the fire or in the garden, talking about politics and talking about unions, and it's... Ugh. I'm getting flustered just thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just, it's really beautiful and it's really cute and it's really fun. And like, there's a scene where Ronald Coleman and Gene Arthur go into the town and Ronald Coleman wants to stop off to get Cary Grant some borscht because he just knows that Cary Grant likes borscht. Mm -hmm. And he's like, just imagine the look on his face when we bring it back to him. I'm like, oh, homos, they in love. (laughs) Mm, These boys. These boys. I see it. I, th- I'm sorry. Maybe I just read every movie this way now, but like I, there's there's no way in my mind that you can watch that movie at least now and not and not see this. And I have I have Vita Russo's Cellular Closet, and as soon as I finished the movie, I was like, did Vita Russo to write about this? Because I feel like this has to be in here somewhere, and it's not. And I'm like. How? What? Why? Why aren't people talking about this? Like Harry Grant was bisexual. <laughs> As far as I know, Ronald Coleman was straight, but like, this is an incredibly queer movie, and it's not even trying to hide it. Like, yeah, Gene Arthur's there in the middle, but no one really shows any affection for her. And she doesn't really end up with either of them at the end of the movie. Oh, fuck yeah. Wait, I want to watch this. I just didn't know Cary Grant was bisexual. Oh, Cary Grant was bisexual. Hell yeah! When he first moved to America, he had a very long relationship in New York with Australian fashion designer Ori Kelly, who did all the dresses for Some Like It Hot and Anti-Mame. Whoa! And then in the 30s and 40s, when he was out in Hollywood, he had a very long relationship with Randolph Scott, the Western star, and they owned a house together in Palm Springs. There's some great photos of the two of them like shirtless on a diving board hugging that's just like mm-hmm. yep that sounds like boys no being idea. boys <laughs> what's boys better boys. than this guys being dudes yeah. um. <laughs> boys will do boys yeah no talk of the town is really 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 sweet and i want people more people to see it but i also watched a very kind of cult spanish i don't know kind of horror movie <laughs> it's it's very hard to describe it's called Arribato, which translates to rapture it's a spanish film from 1979 um okay. and it was directed by even zulueta who is i think most well known now as a poster designer he did um, all the movie posters for like pedro almodovar's first couple of movies oh, okay so he did the poster for dark habits of the tiger nun and pepe Lucci bomb and other girls like mom and he also did a lot of the spanish posters for Bunuel's films um oh, cool. like simon the desert and veridiana his posters are amazing and i've got a couple in my house and i i love him to death and i finally got to see this like cult horror movie that he made called arribato which is about a filmmaker who's making his 
he made a, a schlocky monster movie, and now he's making his second movie, which is a vampire film. And the movie starts on him in the cutting room going over the end of his vampire movie. And he's talking to his editor and he says, we need to make it clear that at the end of the movie, she's happy that she's a vampire. We need to show that she likes being a vampire and that's how we end it. And the editor's like, that sounds crazy to me, but I don't know, whatever. And I was like, yes, that's what we want. That's exactly what we want. And the whole movie is about his relationship to this young guy who's a cousin of his producer who has a very weird fascination with film and capturing himself on film in relation to a heroin habit that he thinks that if he films himself while getting high he'll be able to capture that piece of his drug-induced orgasm on celluloid and it leads down this very surreal Videodrome-esque path. Sounds wild. It's a very wild, very fun movie. And there's a sequence near the end where this younger guy that he's that he's been interested in the whole movie just goes cruising. <laughs> like, out of nowhere, like, the whole tone of the movie shifts, the whole lighting <laughs> shifts. And he, he and this girl are going cruising, and they're wearing, like, red and black leather. And it feels like a scene out of The Hunger. <laughs> and all of a sudden like this rock music's playing and they pick this guy up on the street and they take him into this elevator together and they all like uh snort poppers in the elevator and it's just like what you're you're not even oh my god it's so much fun wait where did you watch it it's tough to find it was released um in europe recently it's never been released in america a friend of mine has a european copy of it that he lent me oh Um, okay but there is a new restoration of it that's going to be coming out later this year so i think you know we'll all be able to finally experience because it sounds wild uh experience it is arribato and i like cannot wait for other people to be able to see it and experience it i'm sure i'm sure there's you know versions of it online uh, if you want to be that kind of person, and I'm right. not being judgmental of that in any way, shape, or form. However, there's a better version coming soon, Good. Uh, I am told. So That's you exciting. either see it now or hold out and have a uh, even better time in a little bit. Hell yeah. But I cannot recommend it highly enough. It is yeah. wild. That sounds amazing, and I cannot wait to see it. Um, so we have talked about what we've been watching recently, but let's talk about the film you brought with you today. Drew, what are we talking about? We are talking about Alfred Hitchcock's 1960 horror redefining masterpiece that is currently today, while we record this, celebrating its 60th anniversary, Psycho. Psycho! Um, (laughs) so... Psycho, in case you don't know what it is, I'm sorry, but also, um, so, Secretary Marion Crane, played by Janet Lee, is on the run after stealing $40,000 from her employer in order to run away with her boyfriend, Sam Loomis. And then she's overcome by exhaustion during a heavy rainstorm. Traveling on the back roads to avoid the police, she stops for the night at the Ramshackle Bates Motel and meets the polite but highly sh- but high-strung proprietor Norman Bates, played by Anthony Perkins, a young man with an interest in taxidermy and a difficult relationship with his mother. Dun, dun, dun. So, how old were you? And set the scene when you first saw this movie, Drew. 
Okay, I had to have been... I could not have been more than eight or nine years old. Okay. I had probably seen Rear Window at this point, I think, because my mom is a giant Hitchcock fan. Okay. She loves oh. Rear Window a lot, mostly for Grace Kelly's dresses, also for the murder. <laughs> Come for the dresses, stay for the murder. Absolutely. So I, I'd seen that at some point when I was like homesick from school and she was like, Rear Window's on TV, you're watching it with me. <laughs> um... But I would go down to Florida every year for the summer to visit my grandparents with my brother, who was two years older than me. And sometimes my grandparents would, you know, take us out to rent movies. Sometimes my parents would be down there with us. Sometimes, you know, my uncle would come down to visit. And this one summer, I was like eight or nine years old. My brother was 10 or 11. My uncle Dean was down in Florida with us, uh, visiting for just like the week while we were going to be there for the whole summer. Um, and he's very much the fun uncle. <laughs> he's the guy who like got me into the Who and like mm. um, showed me like seventies rock music for the first time. And uh, so he was talking to us one day about how much my grandmother, his mother is deeply afraid of birds and how he finds it funny that she lives in Florida now with all these seagulls and birds everywhere and she freaks out and we were like why is she afraid of birds and he's like oh because of this movie called The Birds oh wait 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 you two have never seen The Birds and we're like we're children uh, um, <laughs> I am literally a child so he was like you've never seen The Birds you've never seen Psycho and we were like no. <laughs> I'm eight. <laughs> we're children. And so he was like, well, tonight we're fixing that. So we drove uh, to the Blockbuster video in Sarasota, Florida, which is not there anymore. Rip. Um, Rip. And we, like, walked up and down the aisle, and he, like, pulled us down to the horror aisle. <laughs> uh, and, like, he picked up the birds, and he picked up Psycho, and they were the old Universal... Uh, releases with like Hitchcock's profile. Oh yeah, on the side. I those. Uh, and so like, I, and then I saw all the other Hitchcock releases like on the shelf because I because then I said because they all have his face and like in a different color on them also. And then I was like, the trouble with Harry and Frenzy, and I'm like, these all have scary titles. Like, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> little did I know. Little um, did you know? Yeah. And so he was like, we're going to watch both tonight. We're going back. We're going to go wow. sit in the, like, the little... My grandparents' house in Florida is was not big. It's not my father's house in Florida. It's not very big at all. Um, and But there's a back room in between uh, a bedroom uh, that is just like... There's a family room, kind of like when you first walk in, but in the back, there's like a little tiny den that fits like a sofa mm. and then like a chair and then that's it. Okay. Um, and he's like, we're going to wait for your grandparents to go to sleep. You're not telling them about this. Oh my God. Um, we're going to wait for the sun to go down. Um, and then I'm going to make a fuck ton of popcorn and we're going to put on Psycho and the Birds and we're going to watch these back to back. Your uncle um, sounds, your uncle sounds rad as shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man. Um, and so we were like, okay. And my brother is incredibly macho, 
like mm. hockey player, football player, like mm-hmm. dude, bro, racist, homophobic piece of shit. So <laughs> cool. oh. <laughs> he was like, I'm not going to be scared of these at all. Like, let's let's go with the scariest one first. Let's get this. Let's let's get this going. This is going to be a lot of fun. And I was like, no, no. Oh, God, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. And well, and my uncle was like, OK, cool. So I'll let you two pick which one we're going to watch first. We're either going to watch The Birds uh, which is in color, and it's about killer birds. <laughs> or Psycho, which I'm not going to tell you what it's about, just that it's called Psycho, and it's in black and white. And for some reason, and this is kind of still a thing in my brain, I read black and white as scarier. Oh, interesting. Oh. Okay. Um, I don't know why. I just think it's scarier. And mm. moodier, and especially as a kid, like black and white things, like you know, because it feels foreign, you know, mm. yeah, a color yeah. film, like it looks like the world, and so you've got yeah. a bit you know, more of a connection to it. A black and white film, it immediately like has one level of disconnect between the real world and the movie, and that's why you know a lot of like Orson Welles and people like that are like, yeah, it's more like a dream. Got to make movies in black and white, um, <laughs> and stuff. And so I was like, let's watch the birds first. Because that's the one that my brother thought was going to be the scariest one, because it scared my grandmother. Uh, and I thought it was going to be the least scary one, because it was going to be in color. So I was like, okay, cool. Let's watch the birds. And the sun was still kind of out and setting. I was like, okay, cool. We'll dip into the safe. And then I was like, and then after the birds, I can go to sleep. And then I won't have to watch this scary fucking psycho oh, movie. Oh, I uh, like the logic. I am a child. Children sleep easily. <laughs> Got it. And I so we put so we put the birds on, and I was not prepared for the like pace of the movie. Oh yeah, I, I think probably because you know it's nineteen sixty one, nineteen sixty two. It's very slow. There's no score. Bernard Herrmann just made the like screeching sound of yeah. the birds, and that's it. It's very different, and Tippi Hedren is not your, like, normal lead, either. Mm-hmm. But I really, really liked it, uh, and the color's gorgeous, that early Technicolor, or late it Technicolor, is I guess. It takes such a fucking turn very quickly. It takes, I've oh, never what, seen what's it. Is it You've takes... never seen the birds? Ooh. No, oh, I've never gosh. seen the birds. I, well, then I will leave some parts out. Yeah, but um, it is, um... <laughs> About the whole killer bird thing and all that twist that there's killer birds what? and the yeah. birds. There's killer birds? The birds. <laughs> the shades, they kill us. <laughs> um, but for the majority of the birds, I was like tense, but I wasn't scared. The okay. only scene that made me like really scared was the thing with the eyeball. That's oh, all I'm going to yeah. say. Okay. That, I mean... if, you know what, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that <laughs> like that sense. shot is very like, whoa, holy shit. Um <laughs> Even, like, even for that age and even for that movie. Um, but the rest of it is, like, kind of fine. And then the ending is depressing. Yeah, the ending is awful. You're just like, oh, wow, Jesus Christ. But if You're just like, oof. <laughs> um, and so, like, we watched it. And, you know, we ate the popcorn. We had a good time. Uh, and then the movie ended. And, like, I was, I was freaked out. But I was comfortable. And I felt safe being freaked out. So it was one of the first times I felt like, oh, okay, all right, I can do this. And so I kind of had that, like, adrenaline boost of, like, ooh, I had fun. That was nice. Okay, maybe I want to do the Psycho movie. Like, if it scares me too much, I can turn away, but I think I'm enjoying this. I think I like this Hitchcock guy. Um, my brother, Won't however... you into a safe sense of, of safety. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, nice British wit. Um, my brother, however 
did not enjoy the birds. He also got freaked out by the eyeball thing, but he was not... He didn't enjoy getting freaked out. He was kind of upset that he got... That they got the jump on him. Um, oh, boy. And so he was like, let's take a break in between the movies. Let's, like, get some ice cream or, like, you know, let's see what's in the freezer. Let's see what kind of other snacks we've got. And he, like, went outside and took a walk for a little bit. Um, and then <laughs> I was like, can we go to the next movie? Like, we're going to do Psycho, right? We're, we're doing Psycho next. Yeah? We're, we're going to put it on Psycho. Um, <laughs> which Psycho is like a two-hour long movie. It is. Yeah, it's not, not a short I, movie. I did not realize that. I started playing like, oh, this is actually kind of long. Yeah. I always, like, in my head, I'm like, yeah, it's like an hour and a half. It's, yeah. it's closer to two hours. Yes. Um, and, like, the fact that, like, as a child that young, I had the stamina for a double bill that late. <laughs> That's Kudos. amazing. Um, and we finally we finally went back in and popped Psycho in. And I think, actually, while my brother was outside taking a walk, I was like, okay, I'm going to watch the trailer for Psycho because it's on the DVD. I popped it in and it was playing that bump, like Alfred yep. Hitchcock Presents theme. Yes. Uh, just in the room the whole time. And I was like, ooh, this is fun. And so, like, just just the birds alone had kind of flipped the switch in my head of being afraid of this to kind of enjoying it and seeking it out just a little bit. It had, like, given me that nudge. And so I watched the trailer for Psycho for being like, okay, if the trailer has a bunch of, like, gore and weird stuff in it, then I'm going to, like, check out and be like, nah, let's just go to bed. Because I can tell my brother is already, like, not into this. Um, and so I watched the trailer, which the trailer for that movie is legendary because it's mm-hmm. like six or eight minutes long. Yes, it's so long. It's so There's long. no footage from the movie in it. <laughs> no, it's just uh, him walking around the set, yes, isn't it? It is. And the way that he presents it too, because he's very calmly in his nice British demeanor, walking through the set and saying, so this is the bathroom. And I... I couldn't even tell you what happened in here. <laughs> and you just go, oh, what happened in the bathroom? And then he walks into, like... And then he spends the majority of it going through, like, the Bates house and, like, turning the lights on. And it reminded me when I was a kid and we'd go to, like... I was too afraid and too young to go to haunted houses. But they would have some haunted houses that would do, like, early in the day walkthroughs. Oh, yeah, with, like, with, the, lights with the lights on and on. stuff. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, oh, this is kind of like that. That's fun and interesting. And he, like, walks and spends the majority of that trailer in the mom's bedroom. <laughs> being like, and this was Mrs. Bates slept, and there's, like, an indentation in the bed. Uh, and this was, and this is her dressing gown, and this is, it's, like, kind of like, like it's scene in Rebecca, where Mrs. Danvers is walking um, the new Mrs., um... Oh, God. What's the last name? Rebecca. Uh, anyway, it's like yeah, where Mrs. Remember. Danvers is walking Joan Fontaine through the house and be like, yes, this is where this is where the this is where uh, the first Mrs. De Winter slept. And this was her pillow and this was her nightgown. And it's almost exactly like that of Hitchcock walking you through this room, which you never see in Psycho. <laughs> they never go in that room in Psycho ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's that entire elaborate set was only for the fucking trailer. I love it. It's crazy. It's so- that bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, this is fun. I like I know more about this movie a little bit, but I'm still really interested and really intrigued and I have no clue what to expect. And so we finally all filed back in and sat down. Um 
and we turned the movie on and i think t- 10 minutes in my brother like fell asleep <laughs> just completely out like a light um and then it was just my uncle and i sitting on the couch together watching fucking psycho and he did not make a peep the entire movie he was watching me yes oh my god um <laughs> and like i had heard the re- 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 sound before but mm-hmm. i had no clue where it came from what it was about um and all i knew was the bit of the in the trailer where he was like something horrible happened in this bathroom right and so the beginning of the movie it's a heist thriller kind of yeah yeah it's more like a noir movie it's you know there's an illicit meeting of two lovers in a hotel room which by the way oh he is so hot john gavin <laughs> john is gavin so shirtless hot. eating a sandwich <laughs> yes please I, it was in like my him and so Jan- hot they him put him Jan- on the poster <laughs> right him and janet lee together i was like i like the way this movie looks <laughs> yeah and it's like and that long like push in from the skyline oh, into yeah. that window is great it's gorgeous and i just and i well also just like a movie called psycho and the trailer is all this like gothic house and this little hotel and stuff and then it starts like at noon in phoenix arizona right <laughs> in a hotel room <laughs> with these two people fucking and i was like what <laughs> wait yeah. is this the right movie um and then she slyly steals some money from her employer and a weird sexist texan um oh yeah what a dick and then it's it's it becomes like a film noir movie it's all about guilt and stolen money driving around and paranoia paranoia following her the scariest thing in that whole section of the movie is the cop which you know hitchcock knew what he was on the man said (laughs) a cab back in the 30s um uh and that, I mean, when the cop leans into her window and all you see are those sunglasses, those soulless, eyeless mm-hmm. sunglasses reflecting back at the, holy shit, that's fucking terrifying. I was thinking, um, I was thinking yeah. that last night when I was, re- when I was watching it, I was like, Alfred Hitchcock said ACAB. <laughs> like, yep. he said, like, he definitely was like, fuck the cops. <laughs> he was terrified of the police his entire life. Oh. The police are always awful in his movies for that's a reason. True. Um, this is a story that like he did something wrong when he was a kid. So his mother walked him down to the local police station, told the cops what he did, and they threw him in jail for like a couple hours. Oh shit! Really? Just like as like a punishment that like his mom like came up with the police together, and then they let him out, and they're like, "Did you learn your lesson?" He was like, "Yeah." I no i learned i'm fine i'm fine so he spent his entire life afraid of cops which wow. healthy um yeah so that's very strongly in there and then you know she pulls off into the bates motel and the tone just immediately changes as soon as she gets there there's no more sun which the no. entire first half of the movie is marked by and then yeah. there's a gothic house on a hill, and there's a little back office full of taxidermied, taxidermied owls animals. and birds, yes. and Anthony Perkins, saint that he was, 
<laughs> little twink that he baby oh baby I loved, twink i love tony so much um, i forgot how attractive he was He's so handsome in that. I have never forgotten that. <laughs> I he will always be one of my main crushes. I love Anthony Perkins. Oh, and, and in this in the scene where like Sam and him are like so close they could be kissing. I was yeah. like, just just please give him a little kiss. Smooch. A little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um but he just like even though even though he's he's a nice guy, he's he's the nicest guy you're gonna meet, he mm. is so unnerving. And mm-hmm. I just that whole scene where they have dinner together in that back room, and again, eight year old kid with you know the you know mental capacity to watch an episode of SpongeBob, and that's about it. <laughs> I was like captivated by the whole like private trap thing. Oh yeah, the whole first again, the whole first half hour of that forty five minutes really of that movie is like a very slow adult noir film that yeah. then goes into like very slow gothic melodrama <laughs> and it's yeah. like i don't know how i was like i i get why my brother fell asleep but at the same time i kind of like shocked that i was as captivated as i was um well it's, and then, it's so um it's so paced really well like i i I couldn't. I could not remember how long the movie was, and when I saw it, it was two hours. I'm like, oh gosh, this is longer than I than I thought it was going to be. And we don't even see Norman until about 28 minutes in, mm-hmm. and then and it's like I forgot about the whole beginning part that is like you said, just basically um, a noir. Yeah, it feels like a Nick Ray movie. It's yeah. weird. And then you know, so the shower scene happened, mm. which was surprising, and it was a jump scare, but it didn't really like shake me all that mm-hmm. much as much as the eye did in the birds and i was like whoa it was more the like the meticulous cleanup of it after that that made me go oh we're gonna get into some really creepy shit oh god and i was like you know covering my eyes as a kid but the stuff that sticks out in my head the most is the second half of the movie that's all from the like investigative point of view Mm -hmm. when they hire um martin balsam as the pi um, and then when John Gavin eventually goes to the hotel to investigate it himself with her sister, those are all the scenes that scared me the most because that mm. was the, we're entering the Bates house, yes. which is the creepy house on the hill. We've not seen the inside of, all we have seen is what the people who live there are capable of. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, you see Mrs. Bates in the window, and you hear her voice, and so I was terrified of Mrs. Bates. And just that scene where Martin Balsam goes up the stairs? Yes. So painfully slowly. Yes. And he's looking around, and he's going up, and the camera's just kind of floating there. Yes. And then out of nowhere, we get this, like, mousetrap bird's eye view oh, I love of the that. landing. And it happens faster than you can even, like, understand what happens of someone runs out, stabs him. Right, and then right, all right. of a sudden, you're the rig they do for him falling down oh, the stairs is so unsettling. Because he's lurching forward and there's blood on his face. Yeah. And the background... And it takes it's, it's, for him. It's got to be a rear screen projection. Yeah. But the background is like, it's falling at a weird rhythm 
that like it it's I guess it's supposed to be him tripping backwards consistently, but it never it it's got this weird like back and forth floating kind of thing to it that it just it doesn't feel right in right. any way shape or form and then he finally hits the ground and it's just incredibly upsetting and that hit me so much more than the shower scene oh, interesting. So okay. it's funny that you say that because um i i'm i'm having a like deja vu to like my childhood because i was <laughs> i was eight or nine when i saw this movie as well and oh nice the person that introduced me to it was um my babysitter her name was dody <laughs> and she was this older woman and she knew i liked horror movies and so she would like when i would come over because we lived in alaska and my parents worked in a town that was 45 minutes away from where we live so like it it took a little bit to get you know, back and forth and whatnot. So like I would be at, at her house and she would introduce me to movies. And so she introduced me to psycho and I had, I knew nothing about it and everything that you're saying, it hit me the same way. Like I, I was on unnerved at the shower scene, but mm-hmm. it didn't freak me out, but it was the moment that the, the, the shot overhead and all of a sudden, as you said, it happens so quickly, but we see it before he's aware of it, of, this doom right coming out of the room with the horrible it's the first time that like a jump scare like just like affected me so much and it was falling down the stairs and then the shot of norman as his mom like over him and the knife going down twice and his gurgling yeah i turned it off that's when we stopped watching the movie for me like i could not handle anymore i was like i'm done That wasn't my limit because I would like that. That freaked me out. I had to cover my eyes after he like hit the ground and stuff like that because I didn't know what was going to happen after. But I still like I I was still invested in the mystery. Yeah, because I mean, you you the movie sets it up so you think you know what's going on, but mm-hmm. even through that point of view, you still don't really know what's going on. No. So I was still like, okay, that's fucked up but i need to know why this is happening and who's doing i need to know what's going on i need to know what's going on so the thing that finally broke me watching psycho <laughs> as a kid was oh god who plays the sister vera, vera miles, miles. Yeah, yes vera. thank you vera who's kind of the real star of the movie right vera when vera miles goes into the house alone mm. and he's left john gavin's left back to kind of distract anthony perkins um oh my god i was freaking out because i was like you're distracting him but the mom's still in the house the mom's still in the house she's gonna get you she's gonna get you she's gonna get you um and she's going through the house and she's looking at stuff and i'm like every corner she turns it's gonna be something it's gonna be something and then and then when she finally goes to the fruit cellar which you've already gotten the really ominous Mrs. Bates voice of don't put me in that fruit cellar. Right. Which is like, also those scenes freaked me the fuck out. Again, you don't see what's going on. You just like hear them. You hear the voices. Her voice is terrifying. And then you see their shadows through the window occasionally. And just even, even like, you know, I'm from Indiana, so I know what a cellar is, but I've never really heard the phrase fruit cellar before. Even my relatives who lived on, like, you know, little, like, farms and stuff like that didn't say stuff. Even hearing the phrase, the fruit cellar, made me kind of go, like, ooh, like, what What do you keep in there? What is that for? <laughs> um, you keep the like, cozy oh, corpses in there. Why are, why are you putting your mom in there? Why, why do they have to hide? <laughs> no, I don't like this. And so she finally goes downstairs, and I was like, oh, don't, no, 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 don't go, don't go in the basement, which is 
the the, the <laughs> horror cliche of horror cliches of don't go in the basement, <laughs> which I literally just did a record that's going to be coming out soon for a certain horror movie. And for the back of the record jacket, it's a shot of a base of basement stairs for a reason. Oops. She goes down in that basement and you see Mrs. Bates from across the fruit cellar. And it's, you know, very much that like Blair Witch pose of like sitting in the corner mm-hmm. with the back to you. And I mean, in hindsight, I've seen the movie so many more times since then. And I've like, you know, went to film school. So we like blocked stuff out. And I, in my mind, can think back to the sequencing of like hand goes up, hits the light, light flashes back and yeah. forth. Mm-hmm. But that's not what I remember. All I remember is that scene just diving into chaos the light goes everywhere. Mm-hmm. The mom is spun around, and you're faced with this horrifying skeleton out of nowhere. Yeah. And then that scared the shit out of me as a kid. I freaked out when that happened. And then what do you get after that? You immediately then get Anthony Perkins jumping into frame. Mm-hmm. Shot a gun the knife Bates. with the craziest look in his eyes. That look. Oh, um, that lo- seriously, that, that look. look, though. like, And and he he doesn't just show up. He literally jumps into the frame. Well, he jumps into the frame, and then, like, this face when um the hot boyfriend grabs his, like, wrist and, like, twists it. Like, that anguish yeah. on his face is wild. Like, that whole... His performance scene, is amazing. His performance is everything to me. And I will definitely um, show my ass here and let everyone know that this is the first time I've ever watched this movie because I am a <gasps> fake fa- a fake horror film fan. Not anymore, you've seen I, it. So I watched it for the first time last night and I was like, Terry, I have to tell you a secret. This is the first time I've seen Psycho. <laughs> and he was like, what? And even my, my, my partner was like, you have never seen psycho i'm like i know it's a problem anyway doesn't matter i finally watched it and anthony perkins one did not realize how fucking cute he is i don't care but he i know that he's a gross character but wow is he a cutie pie oh he's so fucking cute (laughs) he's so cute he just plays like that kind of like high strung a little bit nervous anxious guy so well like even the way his like facial expressions and the way he walks and the way he moves it just it's so amazing to watch and terrifying but Wow, I was blown away by his performance in this film. Like, yeah. so good. The one-two punch of that mother reveal and then cutting right back to him. Meanwhile, the light is flashing the light, around yes. the room. It just, it pulls what could have been, you know, a fairly cheap reveal into being something that's just truly nightmarish. Yeah. Because that's something that that whole movie is very stark yes. and clean and naturalistic, and then it very slowly tiptoes into that very stylish gothic stuff that Hitchcock is most well known for. Yeah, yeah. Well, in that in that scene in particular, like it it happened, everything happens so quickly that like it doesn't give you a chance to really okay, she's dead. Oh gosh, now he's he's dressing up as his mom. Like it doesn't give you time to like process any of that. It's just like boom, boom, boom. Yeah, it doesn't let your brain get in the way. Right. It spent this entire time leading you up to this moment. To this this moment. is what the movie's invented for is this little chunk 
for you to buy into all of this so that you can understand this enough to be scared and to root for a hero, but not enough to be thinking through the scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what the exposition dump after is I was going to say that. <laughs> Which like, I completely forgot about as well. Wild-ass exposition dump. But I was going to say, like, unfortunately, I saw this movie knowing the twist, but it's still so effective. Like, even though mm-hmm. I, I cannot even imagine what it would be like to see that movie... In the theater in 1960? in 1960, like what? When there's the- an entire hush campaign around yes, it, exactly. Right. Like the like, hush campaign is insane, and like I think that was one of the first times they they didn't let people just come in and out of the theater because you know the mm-hmm. theater used to be the thing you can go walk in and out, and there wasn't really like a time you're supposed to sit down. But with Psycho, there like this is one of the first times it happened, which I is fucking phenomenal and cool, and it's just like still so shocking even if you know what's going to happen and it's actually I feel like a testament to how well the story is told and paced and created and man though I cannot imagine seeing that movie and not knowing that's coming like it's so it's like the payoff is so worth it it's just absolutely gorgeous and then of course the exposition at the end which is Oh, by the way, in case you didn't know what just happens, like, let me explain to you. Here's a white man with a degree to come in and explain it to you. I know. I was like, oh, okay, I guess you're just going to. All right. Just in case you guys didn't understand that he was dressing up as his mom. Here you go. This is why. But also, like, what? My favorite part of the exposition dump is that they add on to the body count. (laughs) In the exposition dump. Oh, like, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. He killed his stepdad. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, and this happened. And you're like, whoa, whoa, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And what? You, aren't there some missing girls that you were, you know, like, they yeah. keep adding those, like, little things. It's like, oh. <laughs> Guess we should be concerned, huh? <laughs> Girl, he's been disturbed. Yeah. He's been disturbed his whole life. I'm like, okay. Uh, okay. I guess I'll take your word for it. And as uncomfortable as that and like when as a kid seeing that exposition dump you're kind of like "Uh uh-huh what okay (laughs) okay fine and then after that which like i will get into the exposition dump later right (laughs) because that is a goddamn can of worms i was gonna say like Uh should we go to unpack that can of worms because i got a lot of feelings Um. about it as do i when um so like i i Again, I stopped the movie. Like uh, I told my my babysitter Dodie, I was like, "No, nope, I can't. I can't watch anymore." But like, it, this is kind of where I started watching sequels. Um, I've talked about this on the podcast before, where it's like, I will watch the sequel because I think that like I can handle it better. And so I mm. want. I went into Psycho Two, not really knowing how Psycho One. Oh, <laughs> you had to finish Psycho when you watched Psycho Two. That's amazing. Like, like the the next day, like I couldn't stop thinking about Psycho, and so the. My, my Dodi was like, hey, so do you want to watch Psycho 2? I promise it's not as scary. And it wasn't. I was perfectly fine with it. <laughs> but, like, it allowed me to eventually go back and, and rewatch the first one. But, like, I went into Psycho 2 not knowing how the movie was ended. All I knew was that there's <laughs> this crazy old woman that was, like, fucking superhero and, like, killed the guy that, like, my little brain thought was, okay, well... Gotta the save girl, the day. Right. The girl that I thought was the hero, she dies 48 minutes into the movie. Okay, so he, this investigator, oh, it's the, you know, he's an ex-cop. He's going to save the day. No, he's dead, too. I'm like, well, fuck, I can't handle this. <laughs> and, yeah, there's yeah. no, there's no, like, balance. There's no, like, sense of, like, I guess justice or, like, right or wrong. And There's nowhere to, like, anchor yourself. There's not. After and, she dies. I there's, can't. Like, especially, like, bringing the sister in, you're like, who's this right like i i can't i can't 
I can't think of another movie that is structured like this, where it's like you have a, a whole totally new set of characters introduced halfway through the movie that we're following, and you, you don't know who the hero is at that point because, like, again, you think it's the cop, the cop gets killed, and then it, it just it's it's amazing to me how that movie has been like structured and not replicated. It works kind of in a slightly Agatha Christie way, which is mm. very interesting because Alfred Hitchcock like hated whodunits because <laughs> he was like, well, once you know who did it, what's the point of watching it again? Fair, but I still watch Boarding Earn Express and all those movies all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of got that because, you know, when you're watching a whodunit or like a Giallo film or even a slasher where like a lot of it is like shrouded in i i'm gonna guess who the killer is mm -hmm. you're always like oh i it's it's her she's the killer and then she's the next one to get killed and you're like well i don't know who the killer is now <laughs> it's that exact same thing but flipped but yeah flipped. you're like oh well she's the lead nope uh <laughs> well and like when when you're eight in the 80s and you're watching this on a vhs tape you don't have a, con a, con a conception of how long the movie is yeah and so like you know you're you're seeing this man go up the stairs and i had no concept of time i had no idea that there was still another like what 30 minutes to this movie well, so it's i'm a like long movie, so that kind of feels like it's going to be the climax right exactly yeah. he's going up the stairs i'm like oh he's going to figure it out he's going to save the day and everything's going to be solved and it doesn't happen and i'm like okay i'm done because it's because <laughs> you again have no concept of how how this movie is going to play out at that point and it's just it's it's amazing. It's amazing to think about it like that. So when did you finally go back and finish Psycho? Um, I think it was probably like a month later. Um, oh, I, I, oh I, but you're, I honestly, you're still like eight or nine. Yes, I was still like eight or nine. I was like, I was waiting to be like, well, when I was in college, I finally oh. <laughs> No, I think it was like, I, I, I want to say it was like a few months later. I went back to watch that one after I saw mm -hmm. uh, Psycho 2 and was like, okay, I can handle this. We're good. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I had to have been eight or nine when I saw when I saw the whole the whole movie, too, because it was again with with Dodie and she watched me for like a couple of years only so yeah i mean yeah. i and then like i freaked out real hard at the at the basement scene and my uncle was like you're good you're good <laughs> as we got into the exposition dump and i was like is it over and he was like almost because <laughs> then after the exposition dump we get norman sitting alone Ugh. in the padded cell because he needs a blanket and then with the mother's like internal narration yeah. on top of that of like I'm just gonna sit here and I'm gonna be perfect and they're gonna leave me alone. I'm gonna be so good I won't even hurt that fly. Um, oh, I know. And then it's all it's such a satisfying ending because Hitchcock knows both when to wrap up the story, when to kick you in the teeth one more time, and when to pull off a punchline. All at the same point with the ending of that, because in like one long dissolve, we go from Norman's close up into the dissolve of the mother's skull. Yes. Mother's skull, yes. For like two seconds on top of that, that makes you go, whoa, wait, what? And then it, <laughs> it dissolves to the car being pulled out pulled of out the lake. Yes, yeah. and then it's over. Wait, and the and then you're like, roll. and the money's no in there. credits. <laughs> And then, yeah, and then it's and it's over because you don't even get any credits because it's no. a 60s film. Yeah. The credits were at the front. Those Saul Bass credits, which are gorgeous. They um, are. And, and then it's just over and you're just like, wait, wait. What? But the money at the end. <laughs> but and the it's money. Just, you can just see Hitchcock behind the camera just laughing like you cared Cackling. about the money, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And it's just... 
I just remember like being slack jaw <laughs> when yeah. it finally ended and being like, what? <laughs> and my uncle was like, yeah, so what'd you think? <laughs> wow. 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 And I, oh my God, I both loved it and had so much trouble sleeping <laughs> after that. Fair. <laughs> I can imagine. And I it like, too. it just scared the shit out of me in a way that I was like, when I went back up to Indiana and I would like went to that uncle's house, he has a crickety old cellar and his that for a basement that's like this old ass wooden staircase that was built in like easily the mid forties, which is falling apart, and it's an unfinished basement that's just oh, like geez. cinder block walls painted white, <laughs> and he and my father ran a tire company together, so the changing people's tires like out of the garage (laughs) Um, this is before the recession when that was a job um and so the basement was just full of like tires everywhere just stacked up in darkness wow um and then at the very and then there was like kind of two sections and like we go straight back uh, and then there was, like, a washing machine and a fridge, where that's where he kept all of the, like, soda that I could go get, because all of his beers were in the fridge upstairs. <laughs> so if I wanted a drink, I would have to go down into this basement. But then there was another room to the right off of the stairs that was also just, that had even more tires. Oh, and geez. that room was referred to as the playroom, which is the most ominous shit in the world. <laughs> that is some innocent stuff. That he was like, yeah, when we were kids, like, because this house had also been owned by their parents. And so my dad, my uncle, and all their siblings grew up in this house. They're like, yeah, when we were kids, they would send us down here to play in this this room over here. And I'm like, in this blank, empty cinder block, <laughs> basement, unfinished, this was your quote-unquote playroom? <laughs> With what ghost? <laughs> and I just, like, wow. I... I couldn't go down those stairs anymore after seeing Psycho. <laughs> I couldn't go down there. It looked entirely too much like the end of Psycho. Valid, though. <laughs> Plus tires. Plus tires. Can we talk wow. about the final monologue, like the final exposition dump? Yes. yes. Let's. Well, I want to talk about that, and then I also want to, because you also mentioned that you didn't know many other movies that kind of, like, did that kind of structure, because I want to talk about a movie that literally, like is a cover of Psycho. Oh. A little bit. Brian De Palma's Dressed to Kill. Oh, okay, I have not yeah, seen yeah. that okay. one. I haven't seen because it, but I'm, I'm familiar with it. Because there's a vi- like, it's the exact same plot and structure, except De Palma, like, heightens it and adds stuff on top of it. But, like, it even has the exact same exposition dump. Really? And mm. a very similar twist. Oh. Which is important. Um... And also it kills off a main character very early into the film and then follows some other characters that are that much like Janet Lee and, um, oh my god, I forgot her, Vera Miles. It's like, oh, it's all, going from one to one. It's also like, we're going from Angie Dickinson to Karen Allen. Okay. Blonde huh. to blonde. Got it. Um, and then they both have a very similar twist. Okay. And then they both have a big exposition dump after, followed by one last kind of stinger. And they also have very iconic shower scenes. Huh. Wow. Um, Dress to Kill has two shower scenes. Both of them feature a character being stabbed. 
Um, <laughs> Dress to Kill is like the best remake of Psycho that you're ever going to get this side of Gus Van Zandt. Like, <laughs> but uh, it's... So let's talk about the the end wrap-up monologue to Psycho, and then I can tiptoe into the Dress to Kill one a little bit, because it's slightly more problematic, even though oh. it's trying to be less. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, let's unpack that. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> should we start with the book of Psycho? I have never read and the book the, either. I haven't read the book. It, apparently, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that they he, they made a lot of changes to it. Um, yeah, but the book is based off of the true crime. Ed Gein, right? Ed Gein, okay, yeah. I'm yeah, so excited. I texted Terry and I was like, I can't wait to talk about Ed Gein because I have a book about Ed Gein and I have a weird thing. Not a thing for him, but like a fascination with his story. So I am... So you have a thing for him. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, just, I, I hate being that person. I was like, I have a thing for a serial killer. I just think his story is really fascinating and fucked up and gross, but uh, whatever. So would you like to fill us in on the Ed Gein of it all? The Ed Gein of it all? Um, so Ed Gein... Um, was a, was a nice, a nice, strange little country boy who had a very, very awful mother um, who was very verbally and abusive and controlling, but he was obsessed with his mother. And lots of horrible things happened. And then Ed Gein was left on his own. And Ed Gein started uh, making skin suits and robbing graves. And he didn't actually do a... He murdered people, but a lot of um, the body parts he had came from graves because he would grave rob and take body parts. And so when they um, finally caught him and went into his house, there was a lot of, you know, body parts. He had um, a belt that had nipples on it. Um, you know, the usual. Yes, you <laughs> I once saw a list of all the things that was found in his house, and I literally gagged. I it's, just like, It's pretty fucking nasty. It's, it's so fucking nasty, and it's really fucked up. And I think what is just so fascinating about the whole thing is that he was like, everyone thought he was like the town weirdo, and there's like a sweet, kind of stupid guy. And they would always be like, oh, that's just Ed Gein being Ed Gein. And he was just, but he was actually just like, had a collection of body parts in his house. all And like, all stemming from the fact that his mother, like, absolutely treated him like shit. And she had a weird thing about masturbating. And it was like, very, very weird psychosexual relationship with his mother. And was she still alive at this point? No, she, she no. died. Okay. She passed away. She died of natural causes. She did, actually. She passed away. Of natural causes, and he, he they think that he killed his brother, but that isn't proved, but he probably killed his brother. Um, and he was left on his own, and he kind of, like, started falling apart without his mom, basically. Like, she wasn't there to kind of tell him what to do all the time and order him around, and so he kind of fell into the art of skinning corpses and stuff. <laughs> Which stemmed from him wanting to keep his mother yes, around. Yes, and, and preserving her. So, because yeah, a lot of the people he killed slash grave robbed from were also like older women that were his mom's age and like similar size, because he wanted mm. to have parts of his mother. The mm. idea being that he was so traumatized by his mother that he couldn't let go of her yes. following her death. That her death was more traumatizing than the pain she inflicted on him his whole life, and so he weirdly tried to keep her alive. Yeah, by trying to. By literally, like, keeping her corpse around and doing what he could to keep it fresh. Yeah. Um, and then wow. making a skin suit so that he could... And this is the, not... The, 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 the trouble with this comes is that 
People have made so many movies inspired by Ed Gein. Oh, yeah. Psycho, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Massacre, Sounds of the Lambs. Sounds of the Lambs. And all of these have one thing in common, (laughs) which is a very, 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 very problematic representation of transgender people. Wow. (laughs) Really bad. Hey, really bad. It's almost like they completely misunderstood Ed Gein's story and wanted to make trans people look terrible. (laughs) And didn't even yeah. think about the implications or the fact that Ed Gein was not. I don't believe. Okay, and please correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe he was trans. I, he wasn't no. trans, so I don't understand like how that became whatever. Anyway, <laughs> people didn't understand because yeah. the, the two things that were commonly taken from this was that he that this was a thing that he did for like a sexual pleasure or mm-hmm. something like that. No. no. Or that this was a thing of an identity of him. No. Or that this was a multiple personality or, or an early example of DID. No. Yes. And so that's what we see cropping up in these movies. Right. The most. Because that's kind of the Hollywood thing to do is to just skim the surface. You shorthand and like, so we're just going to use that as, as our, our starting point. Yeah. It's more of a trauma echo than it is any of these more sensationalized exactly. things. Exactly. Right. So what Psycho does is Psycho somehow gets off a lot cleaner than Silence of the Lambs or Dress to Kill does, or even Texas Chainsaw Massacre, by saying that, well, Norman has a split personality. Right. And Norman, once Norman killed his mother, he manifested a new personality that of his mother so the mother would put on the mother's clothing and walk around the house in the mo- and speaking in the mother's voice and then enact these crimes of jealousy whenever norman was interested in a woman which then made the mother jealous and protective of her son and then norman would kill um and it's like well okay first of all <laughs> <laughs> Multiple personality disorder is a movie invention. Yes, right. it sure fucking is. The medical definition uh, is DID, mm-hmm. which is dissociative identity disorder. And on top of that, most therapists and scholars don't think it's real. Right. It's like there's like 0.03% of cases of this in the world. And even among that, a lot of people are skeptical. <laughs> So for every United States of Terra, it's just like, <laughs> not really. Yeah. Um, so that. And then that's kind of the way that Psycho plays it off. That yeah. this was a personality and that's why he did this horrible thing of killing these people and dressing up in women's clothing. And then, you know, the idea that, well, that now the mother personality is locked in at the end and it's he's stuck yeah with the mother brain <laughs> y- yes <laughs> until psycho <Y-> <laughs> yes and that was something right. i was just like i was i was yelling about this earlier today to my partner i was just like i don't understand how ed gein became like the inspiration for these like really awful like movies about trans people that make trans people look like murderous psychopaths Murders. when that's not true and also misunderstands what being trans is but then again i feel like these are such like I feel like trans representation is not great in horror, like, to put it mildly. mildly. (laughs) And it feels like all these representations of, like, even, like, remotely, like, the trans, like, what people seem to think is the trans experience, which is not the case, is, like, violence and mental illness. And it just, like, is so 
I I knew what Psycho was, but then seeing it, I was like, I really don't like how this really feels like it sets a tone for a horror for a very long time about, like, mental illness and villainy and, like, excuses and making it seem like that makes you a bad person. And I just, it just leaves a very bad taste in my mouth. And it's just very weird to me that it really did set that tone for horror for a long time. Here's the interesting thing. Psycho epitomized what we now refer to as the man in the dress killer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, which is the idea of the trans killer or the like the queer killer in that definition. And if you go back and try to find examples of that before Psycho, there's only one movie that did that. Oh, really? And it's a movie from 1930 mm-hmm. called Murder. <laughs> Directed by <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock. Oh! In which the killer is a transvestite. Really? Wow. Yes. Which is the first ever on-screen appearance of a quote-unquote man in a dress killer. Wow, really? that's... I did not know that. Which is... Which only makes Psycho more fucked up, in my opinion. And if you also look back wow. at the, like, catalog of Hitchcock movies, he famously presents queer villains in a way that like a lot of queer people like attach to and like which i mean i do too yeah but also in a way that's a little like unsettling because it's always kind of like well it's the othered character Mm -hmm. that is the villain if you want to think about the couple in rope that kill their friend because they can or the very obsessive stalker and killer and strangers on a train Strangers on a train or the deeply obsessive lesbian mrs danvers and rebecca it is or the implied homosexual peter laurie and the men who knew too much Mm -hmm. the 1933 version what i'm realizing is that i am not familiar with hitchcock's work yeah i'm woefully uneducated i think i've only ever seen psycho Ooh, there's so many good ones to watch. They're all I so know, good. I and know. I guess the birds are gay in the birds, too, now. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. If all, of, if all of his villains are gay, I guess those are right. gay birds. Um, I've seen North by Northwest. I take it back. I have seen that one. Which also has gay villains. The birds are gay! James Mason and... Um, uh, is it Leonard Nimoy? No, it's not Leonard Nimoy. It's... Um, oh, God. He's, he won the Oscar for playing Bella Lugosi in Ed Wood. Oh, yeah, yeah, Fuck. yeah. Um, he passed away a couple years ago. He did. Martin Landau. X-Files, Martin Landau. Martin Landau and James Mason are the villains in North by Northwest, and it's heavily implied that they're a couple, or at the very least that Landau um, is infatuated with James Mason. That's huh. another movie I don't think I've seen since I was maybe eight or nine. Um, so good. Which, yeah. you know, the irony of that being uh, Cary Grant was the gay one <laughs> in real life. <laughs> right. Um, so not only does Hitchcock have this tradition of the queer character in a large majority of his movies, but on top of that, them being presented as the villain and as the killer or as the unstable one. And he literally being the man who invented the man in the dress ki- killer trope Mm -hmm. of course that's probably the thing that he saw in psycho and was like oh people will find this shocking right it's absolutely that's the absolutely the purpose of the use in that movie and that's why it's used that way in that basement scene and that's why that basement scene hit me so hard as a kid it's because 
not only are you presenting a man in woman's clothes, what a world. But <laughs> but on top of that, it's presented in the most unsettling way possible. The light flashing, you've just yeah. seen this corpse, and and he's he's wearing like a loose fitting sundress. Yeah. It's not it's not flattering to Anthony Perkins in any way no. with this loose fitting wig on top of his head, manic look in his eye and a knife in his hand. So you are reading an image which you are in theory as a 1960s audience or as a child unfamiliar with in the world an image that runs contrary to quote unquote your idea of gender and of societal stabilization and then after that's been upended just immediately shocked by that it's immediately associated with a dead body a jarring flashing light a murderous glint in the eye and a fucking knife. Yeah. And it's then explained as this is a mental illness. Do you see this image of a person? This is a mental illness. I am white doctor man at end of movie. Yeah. And this was like the biggest movie of the year. And it did, like everyone yeah. saw psycho. Yeah. Everyone saw psycho. And it was after psycho that the man in the dress killer and that the gender swap killer became a really big thing. Yeah. I mean, William Castle's Homicide, Homicidal, came out the next year, which kind of flipped on its head of the, like, drag king killer, (laughs) which I love that movie. Um, And then, obviously, Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde Mm -hmm. from Hammer in the 70s, and it just, like, it really became its own thing for a while. And then the problem of, of Brian De Palma's Dress to Kill. Yeah. Which... You two haven't seen. I mean, I'm assuming that there is a reveal that the killer is... is, It's a male character presenting female Uh in the guise to commit these acts of violence. They literally dress to kill. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yup. Oh, for fuck's sake. He's creative. I I love the movie. I have the fucking one sheet in my bedroom. Anyway, it's very problematic. It's still because... important to understand, but like you know, we can oh. still love these movies and also realize actually that's, that's very important. That like you can still love these things as long as you yeah. acknowledge that they are problematic. It's okay, guys. Listen, I named my design brand after an incredibly problematic movie. <laughs> right. But well, I, I mean... still love Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, and there's so many elements in that movie that are I feel are more liberating than most trans things that came out ever mm-hmm. however and dress to kill has a trans individual in it <laughs> like oh there's in the middle of the movie there's like a quadruple split screen part where nancy allen and michael kane are both watching a donahue episode where donahue is interviewing a trans woman oh. but it is very 80s 90s talk show uh, yeah uh-huh. uh, yep, yes yep, yep. <laughs> If you get what I yes. mean, in that very exploitative <laughs> way of like, so you think you're a woman? Why is that? Invasive question. That kind of tone. <laughs> yes. And she's she's this very kind woman, and she's like explaining like I you know I was a marine, I was a scuba diver, I like I you know jumped out of airplanes, I did all this stuff, and I you know was quote unquote macho, but like this is who I am, and this is like this is you know this is my life, and so midway through the movie, before we're even anywhere to the twist. The characters are watching a trans woman on TV bearing her soul. Yeah. And trying to be very earnest. And apparently this is the broadcast that inspired De Palma to make this movie. And I'll get into that. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, 
And so you get the reveal and the big climactic violent set piece. And then you get the exact same psycho exposition dump at the end, which is blocked the same way. Where we're all back at the police station, we're all sitting down, and then there's a doctor character that no one's ever met before, and he's going to tell you what's going on. And the doctor character explains that in Dress to Kill, uh, this character is uh, transgender, and that because the male part of their psyche couldn't reckon with this, that they had a mental break and they developed a split personality mm. based so down gender lines. <laughs> and that the female presentating version was going to see a therapist to get, you know, a recommendation for gender reassignment surgery. This is where we get into the really, really problematic wow. stuff. Wow. Um, and when the male half found out about this, retaliated, and <laughs> and that and that and that, uh, whereas Mrs. Bates would kill out of jealousy to protect her son, the female half, in dress to kill, would murder whenever the male half was aroused out of a dysphoric erection sensation. Oh, for fuck's sake! Wow. Yup. Oh boy, that's a problem. So the entire movie is based around the genitalia of the wow. trans killer, cool. and it explicitly states that this character is trans, oh. which is the big difference from Psycho. Psycho yeah. is this character is DID, has multiple personality disorder, and that's why this weird thing happens. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Dress to Kill, it's like this person's trans, which made made them have a multiple personality, which made them kill. Uh. Um, because of genital dysphoria and all of this stuff and i'm just like wow oof and so the the thing that brian de palma said in like 2015 on the re-release disc of dress to kill and like new interview that he did he was talking about the donahue thing that inspired it and he Mm -hmm. mentions watching that donahue episode and seeing this woman on tv and being like huh what an interesting concept of a life to lead. That's kind of like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of thing of having two people in your body. And I'm like, oh, no, it's not. No. <laughs> wow. No. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not that at all. Wow. That ain't it, Chief. <laughs> uh, oh, honey, you got it so wrong. The only upside to that is right after that disgusting exposition dump, which makes me want to vomit and then you know i'm not gonna say kill someone because i don't want to be that stereotype (laughs) um you then get nancy allen having like a calm like nice lunch with one of the other characters calmly explaining step by step what gender reassignment surgery is and what transition is like and it's played for a joke wow because they're out to lunch at this very fancy restaurant and behind them is a table of old women and because De Palma loves split screen and split diopters <laughs> yes he sure does behind Nancy Allen in a split diopter shot you can see an old lady getting visibly flustered and disgusted oh, good god at this as as what? Nancy Allen describes what going on hormone replacement therapy is like 
and and how that affects breast tissue and how that affects skin and like this is granted it's pretty well researched you know it's this isn't incorrect and then goes into the description of gender reassignment surgery in fairly graphic detail while we are meant to watch this old woman in disgust and laugh wow yup wow and then there's another murder set piece <laughs> Uh, shit um i don't know what to say <laughs> other than like i do want to see this movie now just as like oh here's the other thing it's gorgeous like, that's the thing and that's like what's <laughs> so interesting to me about the, like especially like this and like i also think of silence of the lambs like these movies that are so good and like beautiful done by these like signs of the lambs one best fucking right? picture yeah. as a horror it's movie it's a fucking horror mm-hmm. movie and like and it's started by jonathan demi who made philadelphia yeah. <laughs> right yeah like what <laughs> and it's just so fascinating these movies are revered as being these like amazing like pieces of horror thriller or whatever but it's like also at their core they're deeply upsetting and problematic and like in watching them now you're like well even then like hmm perhaps yeah. this is not the way you should be talking about other human beings but all right and and the thing is like i saw psycho you know eight or nine years old which is like after the point that I had started, like, you know, back in my mind, gender questioning things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. At a very young age, not even really knowing why that was a question. Just being like, ah, this, that, and the other. Yeah. And then Psycho immediately is like, look at this terrifying mental illness that is bad and is not good. And I was like, whoa, that's only fucked up, huh? <laughs> Don't want to be like that guy. Um, <laughs> oh, God. And then kind of had that running in the back of my head for years. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and then... Well, you know, by the time I was in high school, it was very much more of a thing where, like, this had, and I had, like, plenty of time to, like, sit and, like, gestate in the back of my brain. And I was like, oh, okay, like, this is probably a thing. I don't know if it's a thing that can, that I'll be able to do in my life. Maybe it's just going to be this thing I think about all the time and, like, wish, but I, I doubt I can transit. I doubt this is a thing. I live in central Indiana and, like, there's no way this is going to be a thing. Uh, and then I saw Dress to Kill in high school, and I was like, nope. <laughs> Yikes. Is that... Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm not like that, so that can't be it. You know, it, you're, you're making me think about... I mean, when... when Even my experience, you know, being uh, a closeted kid in, like, <laughs> up until 2011, I, just seeing all the representations of what queerness would do to you, whether it was in film or whether, I mean, you know, I was, I was growing up, um, I was coming into my, my, my teen years in the aftermath and in the the current like AIDS epidemic. So like everywhere around me, I'm seeing what my potential future could be. Um, and it was, it was terrifying at that time. And that's, I think that's part of the reason that I was so afraid of coming out of the closet because all I had for representation was the queer villain or the queer coded characters or the fact that everyone, you know, even Philadelphia or or everyone's going to die from AIDS. Like this is the only thing that I saw coming up and it just kind of, it makes me realize just how important seeing positive representations of, of you are in movies you know yeah i didn't see a positive trans character on screen until sense8 jesus christ oh yeah on netflix Sense8. which was 2014 yes. <laughs> right 2016 right, right. and literally literally the power of representation it was 
I watched Sense8 on Netflix, starring Jamie Clayton, who is a oh, trans woman, wonderful. and a like positive, loving relationship yep. with a lesbian, yep. and a show written by the Wachowski sisters, right. directed by the Wachowski sisters, yep. and it was at that point that I finally like was given the push in my brain of, no, this is okay, you can do this, people do this, they are loved, yeah. And they lead lives. And that's that's the thing, because I had spent I had seen Psycho and Dress to Kill and mm-hmm. Silence of the Lambs and every like and like, you know, these trans kids being dragged on Oprah right. like during the day and just being like, fuck no, I'm not I'm not like that. I don't want that. Right. And then it took one episode of Sensate to like hit me over the head and I was like, wait, never mind. <laughs> Fuck like yeah. that's like had i had that like when i was a teenager shit would be much well, different exactly. oh i know it would be so much i remember as seventh grade probably maybe eighth grade in middle school friends and i like got together for on halloween and it was the first year that we weren't going to be trick-or-treating we we're going to be teenagers doing teenager shit which was <laughs> watching horror movies in a basement yeah um and we watched silence of the lambs mm-hmm. yeah. and like I had seen it before. My dad loves that movie. He loves Hannibal. He's he's talked about those movies since I was a kid. So I saw those at a pretty young age. And I enjoyed them. And so they were like, yeah, we're going to watch Silence of the Lambs. I was like, yeah, cool, awesome. And I was with two of my friends that were a couple. And then another friend that was like kind of the bitchy mean girl of the group. And we were like halfway through Silence of the Lambs. And probably the goodbye horses scene. I don't know. I think so. And this girl just turns to, like, everyone on the couch and is just like, I'll bet Drew wishes uh, they had boobs. And I was just like, what? 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 Just, like, you know, small ones that you can play with on your own. So that no one would know. You could have your own little secret, like that fucker. And I was like, what? That? Wow. What? Who's? And I literally just, like, got so upset, I left, and I walked home. I mean, yeah. I was just like, holy shit, like, can people see through me that easily? Like, wow. (laughs) What? And I, like, I freaked out. I, like, you know, I think I tried to call my mom to pick me up, but I just wasn't able to for some reason. I walked home and, like, fucking cried and then watched Night of the Living Dead on TCM. I mean, a like, good end to the night, but also what the shit that is. Yeah, <laughs> and that stuck with yes. me my yeah. entire life. Exactly. All because yeah. of Silence of the Lambs, like, and and it was like, and it was both of those things added together. Yeah. If it was just like her in the lunchroom saying that, I'd be like, whatever, shut up. But like yeah. both of those together at the same time, that deep into that movie, right, man man and like and like in that kind of like in someone's basement on a couch like just it's a very of, intimate like, yeah it's very intimate and it's like that's like that's that kind of like personal like where do you pull that from right are you fucking kidding yeah. me but again it feels like someone uh, can see shame. through you and like, you're just like oh you have revealed like the deepest part of myself that i'm barely like acknowledging and you have just revealed yeah. it to our friends and i would like to disappear <laughs> I would like to call it a whole entire Thank you. Goodbye. Yeah, like wow. I don't know, man. Like I, I can only imagine 
what thing again what things would be like if that hadn't happened like yeah. if we had watched blackenstein instead yeah that was the other offering <laughs> that night it was blackenstein wow that's a very interesting range yeah, it is. I was right? thinking that. I don't know where. I, <laughs> We're gonna I watch feel like they got the dollar bin in Walmart, but I'm like, when was Blackenstein in the yeah, dollar bin in say, Walmart? Was that around? <laughs> I like so. Whenever people are like, it's just horror movies. That's when I get so fucking mad. Like, it's not just horror. Yeah. Like, horror means so much to people, and it is political, and it is important. And like, seeing yourself on screen in a genre that you love is important in a positive way. And like, yeah, y'all who are listening, don't ever say it's not political. I'm giving them, I'm giving you as a lecture. <laughs> I can't even see you, but your eyes are already boring I'm, to the back of my head. I'm pointing at my screen very aggressively. I was going to say, I, I can see the, the finger, um, the finger pointing. Do we want to wrap wow. up? Do you want to give us a rating? Yeah. We've talked a lot yeah. about Psycho and I'm obsessed with Psycho now and I'm excited I finally saw it. So we should probably give it a rating. Terry, how many sinister classes of milk out of five do we give Psycho? Or do you give Psycho? You know, I, I it, it's a, it's five. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, I think, I think this this movie is is it it holds up, problematic or not. Um, I mean, I you know, I there's so many movies that like, even though they have problematic gay characters or whatever, I can still appreciate. Mm-hmm. And this the this movie just even watching it as an adult, which I I don't think I've seen it since I was a kid. It's still just the way it's it's structured just continually surprises and it even still like got me so in like a knot in my stomach whenever all the big set pieces were about ready to happen i just i think i think it's a i think it's a landmark film i think it's a masterpiece of tension and i just i love it what about you mary beth um i think it's also five sinister glasses of milk out of five for me and this is like a first time watch for me and i you know going in was expecting to just be like, oh, I know what happens, which is a shitty way to go into a movie, but I was like, well, you know, I know the twist. But what I just, like, I wasn't expecting, I knew how beautiful it was, but really experiencing it for the first time, it is, like, so gorgeously edited. The music is amazing. The performances, like, it all just comes together in this, like, amazing package that does not feel like it's almost two hours, and it really does, like, show how much influence and genius Hitchcock has, and while I'm disappointed that some parts of Hitchcock were adapted into further in the horror genre, I am glad that a lot of what he has done has had such a lasting impact on the slasher. And so, you know, like we said, it, we acknowledge it's problematic, and we know it's not, like, there's a lot of issues, but, you know, we can't deny just how important this movie is, especially in, like, the history of horror. Drew? You have the final say. How many gla- sinister glasses of milk out of five do you give Psycho? For all of its problematic qualities and for its titan legacy, I can only give Psycho uh, five out of five sinister glasses of milk. It's honestly a perfect film. Like the editing, the execution, the acting, Tony Curtis is not Tony, oh my God, Tony, <laughs> Tony- uh, Perkins is. <laughs> <laughs> both of them. I'm in love with both of them. Tony Perkins' smoldering eyes. I uh, It does so much for me. And every time I watch it, I'm drawn straight in. And it like it plays me like a fiddle, even though I've seen it so many times. And even though, you know, we've gotten so many riffs on it in the past, it literally 
is the reason we have horror movies now the way yeah. we do for better or worse yeah. and like yes there's problems with it there's problems with most every movie <laughs> but talking about those problems and fleshing uh -oh. those out are so enjoyable and so productive and enriching yeah. both to like me as a person and like as a uh -oh. community can you guys not hear me? and th we shouldn't be afraid of having those conversations we shouldn't be afraid of like saying this is an issue but this movie is so good and let's watch it and talk about it i want people to watch i want you to watch psycho i want you to watch dr jekyll and sister hyde i want you to watch dress to kill but i want you to also engage with why that's a problem yeah and i want you to yeah. engage with what's good about it and i want you to engage with how can it be better so that we can make those better movies I, perfect yep. and there it goes <laughs> And there you go. Uh, there's one thing I wanted to do a shout out because this made me really laugh when I put out there a call about responses to this movie at Lauren Ladley. And I meant to bring this up earlier, but we just went on so many different journeys. But she said that she walked in on her on her dad showering because he didn't and he didn't draw the curtain because of this movie. He freaked. She freaked. And this movie was the reason why so that she said that so what i was sneaky and watched it one night and then mom figured it out later when she knocked on the bathroom door and i screamed throwing shampoo and crying and then dad caught hell and i just think that is so funny because i know so many people that were afraid of showers after this movie and shower curtains but um that's why i take baths <laughs> hell yeah all the baths just fucking roll they do <laughs> i take yeah. sure like my quarantine treat is taking baths almost every night it's just like I, i'm watching a horror movie i don't give a shit it's making me happy oh, it's like my little you. oasis during this absolute horror show of 2020 so <laughs> well thank you so much drew for joining us to talk about psycho where can our listeners find your work and you and what do you have coming up you'd like to share thank you so much for having me on i love you guys so much and it's mm -hmm. so it's such a joy to talk about like both dumb shit and like these really important stuff at the same right. time yeah. this podcast rules all we do is talk about dumb shit and then really cool stuff it's awesome <laughs> yeah it's a perfect sandwich what a combination you can find my art and get in contact with me uh about that kind of stuff over at my website which is sisterhidedesign.com um and see all of that there and you can also find me on twitter and instagram at hide sister just little inverts of that i'm really active because i've got no life um <laughs> so you know you probably get in contact with me i'm you know i'm just there um and then i mean yeah i mean the 100th episode of dead for filth is out now yeah. featuring some lovely uh guests from some lovely horror podcasts including someone that we might know um <laughs> And the new release of The Elephant Man from the Criterion Collection drops September 29th, uh, featuring my new artwork, Inside and Out, um, which I recommend you go pick up. <laughs> and then we have a record with Mondo coming out soon that I don't Ooh. think I can talk about, but it's with Mondo. Cool. So awesome. If you follow me on social, you'll find out more about that soon, or maybe well after, well before this podcast even comes out. Who knows? <laughs> So, listeners, awesome. you have heard from us, but now we want to hear from you. What was your experience with Psycho? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And, of course, keep the conversation going by chatting with us on Twitter and following the podcast at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Steve Barnold for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our amazing music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there, but more importantly, stay creepy.
And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.